Uh, you didn't do the first song this morning. You did the second song. I'm going to put on my robe and tell the story how I made it over. And, you know, that's what we're dealing with today is how to make it over. And, you know, something dawned on me. I believe it was the Holy Spirit telling me we need to tell somebody what we've gotten through this week. We focus too much on what we're going through and not on what we've gotten through. And if we can, you know, the Lord had people in the Bible set up stones and build build altars to remember what we've walked through. So that when we walk by that, we then reflect on what we're walking through and we see what we've made it through. And, you know, Scripture tells us that we have overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of the testimony. And you need to be telling people what you've gotten through. It's going to get your focus off your problems. Get your focus on God, and I guarantee you it will give you the faith and the belief to believe you can get through what you're going through. Plus, it's going to defeat Satan in the meantime. Tell somebody this week what you've gotten through. Everybody's gotten through something. Are you saved? That's a start. Have you had something that you just couldn't do on your own and the Lord has provided for you? Tell somebody. People want to hear something positive. They're tired of hearing the negative. Tell them something positive. I promise you. It won't just affect the person you're telling. It'll affect you. There is power in the testimony. There is power in the testimony. Help us, Lord. The Lord's delivered me. Has he delivered you? He's delivered me out of a lot. Stuff I didn't deserve. Delivered me out of financial problems, delivered me out of drug and alcohol problems, delivered me out of bad mouth problems, but delivered me out of rebellious problems. And that's just the first that's just the first 18 years of my life. You need to know you can get through what you're going through. Stop for a moment and reflect back on what go find those stones that you built when God delivered you. See those stones of where the waters have parted for you. On what you're going through right now, because God can part the waters just as easy as he did back when he delivered you from what you were going through. Amen. All right. Starting a new series today. What are your odds? You know, this is perfect that I'm sorry that I missed that this morning about their song. But that's right where we are. We're going to get through. What are the odds of what you're going through? What are you up against? You know, wise people make calculated risks. They consider the odds before they go and make an investment, whether it's in energy, whether it's in time or money or reputation. They ask themselves, is the cause, is the cause worth the cost? Is the reward worth the risk? These are, these are odds that you need to consider in your life. And this week I worked on some, what are the odds of certain things? These figures are maybe a couple years old, but I want to just start with you. What are the odds of, let's say, I'm going to go down the secular path. And what are the odds in gambling? Okay. I think this will help you. Roulette. You may not even be familiar with roulette. I hope you're not. If you're, if you, if you're not familiar with it, don't get familiar with it. 
Okay, it's a, it's a form of gambling. Don't do it. But I want you to catch something here. <clears throat> Vegas has the worst odds. You may as well just give me your money and save your time. It, amen. I got an amen out of that one. First service I didn't. I'm like, whoa. Okay. If you play roulette, the casino makes 5.26% right off the top, right down the hatch. What does that mean? Let me give you some mathematical odds. It means if you're betting on a $5 table and you do 30 spins an hour and you play for four hours, you're going to walk away from the roulette table $31 poorer than when you walked up. That is an established fact. These people in Vegas know what they're doing, and they are in the business of taking your money. If you play slot machines, the percentage is twice as much, if not three or four times as much. We're so used to seeing on TV, or if you've been to Vegas, I've been to Vegas. Listen, I have been in the world, and I know what that ding, 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 ding does to your your soul it draws you but it's a lie it's a lie i've been there don't think you're alone we've been there but let's keep going the lottery everybody get a smile on their face the lottery is even worse i don't know how a sane person could play the lottery and let me tell you i have bought a lottery ticket not since I've been your pastor, but I have bought one. Not since I was the worship leader. But whenever I'd go to Kentucky, I'd spend $1 and buy one. And then I would start thinking, how would I explain it if I won? <laughs> have you ever thought that? Do you remember the question I asked you one time, if you didn't have your seatbelt on, would you lie about it if you got pulled over? That's, that's considering the risk. What's the risk of what you're doing? Do, do you follow my train of thought? And I, I had a bad habit of not wearing my seatbelt. But then I started asking my question, if I got pulled over, would I even consider lying? And I can't put myself in that position. Do I buckle myself because I don't want to lie? Yes, but I buckle myself because I don't want to get killed. And I make my kids do it, and then they see me not do it. How stupid does that look? If you can buckle up and be safe, you have that choice. Why would you not do it? I didn't do the, I didn't do the risks of what it, what it is on buckling versus not buckling. Are you with me? It is, to, it is the risk, is the cause worth the risk? All right. I hope I haven't, I hope I haven't taken you too far yet because we're still going. The lottery. You have a better chance of visiting the moon than winning the lottery. You have a six time more likely chance. Of being struck by lightning. Than winning the lottery. Save your money. If you're wanting to help the school system. Give it to the schools. Who knows if they even get it. They do get it. But who knows where it all goes? Amen. <laughs> okay. Now, let's take another step. This is really going to go over real well. How you die. What are the chances of how you're going to die? Let me give you some odds here. Chance of dying in a car wreck, 
are one in a hundred or one percent. The chance that you're going to die by murder is one in 300. Now, I'd say that this number is even worse here. This is a national average. So it takes into account New York City or Memphis or Chicago or more violent per capita places. No, it's better here. Sorry. Y'all know what I'm saying, right? Amen. The chances of you dying in a fire are one in 800. What about that? I finally got somebody that noticed this is our fire by night logo. Go to our fire by night, college kids. Go to that. You'll enjoy it. God will bless you at it. You see this logo? That's our, that's our college ministry. Amen. That was for you, Justin. All right. The chances that you'll die by electrocution are one in 5,000. The chances that you'll die in a flood are, come on, are one in 30,000. Where you at, Philip? I saw you earlier. You're not going to die in a flood. You're all over the TV. I talked about you this morning. All on the TV. There he is. Dealing with the flood. His, uh, his apartment got completely flooded during all that rain. Die, let's see. I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, no, go back. Go back. Go back. Well, blank. There. Dying in a tornado. Yes. God's going to move in them. They're giving it all they got. David danced before the Lord with all his might. I'd say they didn't leave much in the bag right then. God hears that. The teacher asks for it. They respond. Isn't that good? She's got to go get in on that. That's how that happens. You hear it. You want to get to it. It's like that testimony. You give it. Let God do his thing. Where are we at? Die by tornado, 60,000. Die by a bite or a sting. One in a hundred thousand. Where are you going, pastor? Hang in there with me. That you would die by being uh, struck by lightning. Now, remember, you got a six times chance better of getting struck by lightning than you do winning the lottery. And the chances of getting struck by lightning are one in 2.8 million. Now, there's a guy that's been struck by lightning and the, the world's most being struck is seven times. His name, I think, is Roy Sullivan. He has no hair, and he now answers to the name Matilda. I'll tell you, second service, y'all got it going on. First service, it's like, man, don't give me those jokes that early in the morning. You still don't get it? I'm not going to tell what you answer to. He has a good nickname that he's given himself. It's a, it's a good one. Okay. Where am I? The chances of you dying by food poisoning are one out of three million. And the odds that you will die on a plane with a bomb are one in 13 million. Now, where am I going? 
We are so caught up in the fear of death. These, these odds that I've shown you are almost impossible. God is the author of life. You are not here to die of some tragic death. You are here to live and to live more abundantly. It's hard to die. Your body does not want to die. And yet we sit here and we live in fear of death. Fear is gri- grabbing us. You know, let, let's just go back to your life. It seems time. It seems like the odds sometimes are stacked against you. Sometimes it feels like in life that the deck of cards are just, that you've been dealt a deck that's just destined to lose. Let me tell you a, a story about a guy that had that, that kind of day. First, his apartment flooded. This is where I brought you up. Philip, from a broken pipe in the in an apartment above his. So his manager said, go rent a, a shop vac, pull the water out. When he was going to do that, he figured out he had a flat tire. He changed it. He went inside again to phone a friend to get some help with the water. And when he grabbed the phone, that electric charge that went through the phone shocked him so much that he ripped the phone cord out of the wall. By the time he was ready to leave, the water damage had swelled so much that the the door jammed shut that he had to yell for a neighbor to help him kick down the door. And while this was going on, somebody stole his car. But thankfully, his car, thankfully, his car was out of gas. So it only made it a half mile down the road. But when he got to his car, he had to push it to a gas station. That evening, this person was going to a military ceremony at his university and he injured himself when he sat on a bayonet that was put in the front seat of his car. Doctors were able to stitch up his wounds, but nobody was able to resuscitate his four canaries who were crushed by fallen plaster in the wet apartment ceiling from the ceiling. When he got back to the university, he slipped on wet carpet and he injured his tailbone. And he began to wonder if God wanted him dead, but just kept missing. Have you ever had a day like that? Now, that may seem a little bit drastic, but we've all had days that, man, I just wish I hadn't got up this morning. Every time I turn around, there's something wrong. What's going to go wrong next? That everyone is conspiring to make my life bad. Everyone's ganging up against me, trying to make me make me have a bad day or a bad week or a bad month or a bad life. Today, I want to talk to you about facing the odds that are against you and what you're walking through right now, and in your future. What to do when you're facing insurmountable, overwhelming problems. We've been talking about the names of God. I love what Pastor Stephen shared this morning. It's where God revealed himself as Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider. We've talked about Jehovah Rophi, the Lord, our healer. We've talked about Jehovah uh, Shalom, the Lord, our peace. I don't tell you these things just for a fun fact. These are names to call on when you're in trouble. I've just said it, but who do you call on when you're sick? Jehovah Rophi. I am the God who heals you. Is that good to know? You need to know who God is and know that you can call on him. Well, today we're looking at Jehovah Nisi. I am the God who defends you. I am the God who defends you. I am the God who protects you. Literally, I am the Lord, your banner. What does that mean? That means he goes before you 
and takes on those enemies that are coming at you. In front of you stands my God. I go before you and I take care of you. I defend you when the odds are against you. One of the great examples of this is Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 20. And this is where we're going to stay for a few weeks. Very great story in the Bible. It's the story about Jehoshaphat. If you don't know the story of Jehoshaphat, I'd encourage you this week, go read Second Chronicles 19, 20, 21, kind of in that, that range. I love his story. You're going to see why I love it. The story goes like this. Three nations rise up to go against Israel. Three to one. But not just three to one. It's not like you got three enemies, but they're combined. You know, one can put a thousand to flight, two, ten thousand. So it's insurmountable odds. These three nations coming against him to go to war at Israel at the same time. Kind of a tag team. And the king of Israel at this time was a guy named Jehoshaphat. The enemy nations are coming to battle against Israel. You would think that this would be a story about devastation and defeat. But in the true ending, Jehoshaphat wins. He beats the odds because he did everything right. It's a wonderful story that explains God's protection over the nation of Israel. But I want you to know God does not give us these stories just as historical references. He gives us these stories to realize, even though these battles were physical battles that Jehoshaphat was going through, God's saying, you need to use my word to realize what you're going through. I can handle too. If I can handle armies, don't you think I can handle cancer? If I can handle armies, don't you think I can handle marriage? If I can handle nations, don't you think I can handle families? If I can handle nations, don't you think I can handle Tennessee Tech? Or Putnam County School System? God says, I created it anyway. I can handle what I created. He's the creator, not Satan. Satan didn't create anything. All he does is mess it up. He takes what's been created and corrupts it. Perverts it. Satan is not a creator. God is the creator. There are principles here that we are to learn in how to handle overwhelming odds. How to handle when you're in a battle of life. Some of you are in a financial battle. Others are in a relationship battle. Others are in a, are in a battle with a disease. These same principles apply to the battles of life that you're going to face this week, even when it seems like there's no way out. Even when it seems like you're going under for the last time. What do you do? Number one, that's the only one we're looking at today. You turn to God first. Before anything else, you go directly to God. You don't pass go. You don't collect $200. You go to God. And you say, God, I'm overwhelmed. God, I can't handle what I'm going through. God, what do you think about this situation? And you try to get God's perspective on the situation. The reason why is because your perspective is limited while God's perspective is eternal. He knows the beginning to the end. 
He already knows the outcome. He can see the past, the present, and the future all at once. So we need to get a larger picture of what the problem really is that seems to be overwhelming us. But too often, we go to God as a last resort. Let me, let me equate this right here, turn to God first, into prayer. Prayer is a last resort. In the Christian church, prayer is a last resort rather than our first thought. Prayer is usually something that we do way down the line, even after you've tried everything else. People say, well, I guess all we can do now is pray. You ever heard that? It's like it's the last thing. It's like you've tried everything else that you know to do. And now all you can do is pray. And your friend says, has it come to that? All we can do now is pray. It's so hopeless that all we can do is pray. Prayer should be our first choice. Not our last resort. If you want God to help you overcome the odds in any area of your life, you have to turn to him first. Second Chronicles 20 verse 1 and, and then verse 3 says, After this, the armies of the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Munites declared war on Jehoshaphat. He was so afraid, he was afraid, so he decided to ask the Lord what to do. Let's go back. It says, after this. After what? In Second Chronicles chapter 19, there was a story of a great national revival. A spiritual awakening. There is great joy in the country. Prosperity and blessing. It's good times. Then it says, after this. What happens after something great happens? Something comes along to test it. With every mountaintop, there's a valley. With every high, there's a low. With every blessing, there's a testing. It's a shame we can't just live right up here, but that's not the way life goes. We go up the mountain and we go down the mountain. And we come back up and we go back down. You may be going through a time of blessing right now. You're on the mountaintop, but you are going to come down eventually. We need to expect blessing in our life. But we also need to expect battles. You're going to have battles. Now, I didn't, I didn't share this scripture, but I want to revert back to it, refer back to it in 2 Chronicles chapter 17. This is one of the things that I love about Chronicles, is it starts talking about the kings of the nation and how they lined up with God. Have you ever noticed that? It says, and he, and he was favorable in God's eyes, or he did well in, in the eyes of the Lord, or he didn't. He did bad like his, like his father Jeroboam or Rehoboam, or he did good like David, if you ever see like David, that is about, I think, one of the highest honors that Scripture gives a king. It, he doesn't, it, it says a lot that this one did well in God's eyes, but it doesn't say a lot like David. But it says in chapter 17 that Jehoshaphat was pleasing to the Lord. The reason I tell you this is Jehoshaphat even though he wasn't perfect, 
was lining up with God and his will. Yet these three armies came after him. What am I saying? I'm saying because you're going through attack doesn't mean you're bad. Doesn't mean God doesn't love you. Doesn't mean God's not with you. It just means there is a time of high and there's a time to fight. There's a time to relax and to to bask in the presence of the Lord and to rejoice a time of peace. But there is also a time of war. I want you to know in America, it's a time of war. The problem is we're not warring. We're getting beat up. We're losing. But my covenant does not say I lose. So it's time we war. I want to encourage you, if you're going through something right now, it's not because God's left you. Part of life is that we have battles. It's time we fight. But I want you to notice the king's reaction. After this, after this time of spiritual renewal, can you imagine God has come in power? And now here comes something to try to knock it down. After this, the armies of Moabites, Ammonites, and Munites declared war on Jehoshaphat. He was so afraid that he decided to ask the Lord what to do. His reaction says he was fearful. He was afraid. Church, that's a normal reaction. It's reasonable. Here are these nations teaming up, ganging up, and they're going to come pound him one at a time or all together. It's normal to be afraid. The things that are overwhelming you right now in your life, your problem is not that you're afraid of them. It's what you do with that fear. It's what you allow that fear to do in your life. Does it cause you to want to give up? Does it cause you to want to be depressed? Does it cause you to want to go into despair? Does it cause you to want to say, I'm done. I'm done. Does it depress you? I give up. You want to say, I can't make this work. Why should I even try? Why put forth the effort? Why even go into battle? Because I'm going to lose. I give up. The odds are stacked against me. I'm not even going to attempt to fight. Never let an impossible situation intimidate you. Let it motivate you. It is a matter of changing your way of thinking. We are not a failing body. We're a victorious body. There is nothing in this world that can defeat us. Nothing. Not sin. Not illness, not finances, they all come under God's feet. They all come under the blood of Jesus. There is no victory for these things. The problem is we let them have victory when we do not seek God. When God is not a part of it, we get beat down. It never says we're not going to have to fight. We do. But he has given us the ability to come through it. Not just come through it. Come through it victoriously. You've got to change the way you think. Never let what you're going through intimidate you. Let it motivate you. How can I let the problems of my life motivate me? Let it motivate me to pray more. Let it motivate me to trust more. Let it motivate me to expect more from God. 
Do you come to church and expect God to move? Expect more. Expect your problems to have to get answers. Expect your friends that are on drugs to get uh, uh, broken free. Expect the situations at work to improve. Expect your marriage to improve. Expect your kids to come out of what they're going through and be victorious. We need to expect God to do something. We're just waiting for the next shoe to drop. What else could go wrong? What kind of life is that to live? Let it motivate you to get your priorities right, to decide what's not important and what's worth doing. Let it motivate you and turn to God first. I'm going to close with a, with a story. I, I, I had a teaching moment with my son this week, and it's because of watching Facing the Giants. I, I just told you, let it motivate you to get your priorities right. And it's about the son that was being disrespectful of his dad. And the coach said, you need to be respectful of your dad, regardless of what kind of dad he is. You need to be respectful. Well, coach, you don't know how my dad is. He says, it doesn't matter. And I was sitting there with, with Pete. And Pete had been asked something to do, and he didn't feel like doing it. I know just how he feels. He's wanting to play his PSP. He's wanting to watch his video. He's wanting to watch TV, and he doesn't want to do what's been asked. But then we get in the car to go to a basketball game, and we want to ask the Lord to bless the basketball game. And I said, Pete, something's messed up. We need to get this part right before we ask for the next part. Now, God's a merciful God. God has a way of meeting our needs even when we mess up. But can we get this part right? And I said, Pete, I've got to do this in my own life. I fail right here too. I'm right here with you. But we're, we need to expect God. We need to turn to God. We, at turning to God, we've got to turn our lives to him. Start walking according to what he wants from us. And then expect God to do a miracle in your life. We want our nation to change. Let's change as a church. Let's start with us. And let's start walking correctly. And let's turn to God first. And let's expect him to deliver us from what Satan is trying to do in this nation. Because Satan, in my book, loses. And I would just as soon him lose on my watch than win. I just assume him lose in my watch over my family than win. And it's God's will for him to win over my family. It's God's will for him to win, for God to win over your family, over your job, over your kids, over your marriage, over your church, over your nation. It's God's will for you to win. But we've got to start individually. And when we walk into our problems, we turn to God first. Amen.